I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. Something inside of me just lifts. I'm happier. I'm more pleasant to be around. I smell better at the end of the day. Um, the kiddos are back in school, which is a good thing. Well, most kiddos, not my kiddos. Still at home all day long. God bless my wife. <laughs> but there is something so magical about the fall in the city. Uh, and for me, it's, it's when the temperature drops and pumpkin spice starts trending. And those, man, those apple donuts in the Union Square Farmer's Market, man, get me. They get me. Speaking of trending, we are continuing our series, uh, Relationship Status. And so today is all about the swipe right life. Or uh, I should say more specifically, how to stay sane and whole and keep your identity in a swipe right culture. Because for better or for worse, computer and phone screens are invariably enmeshed in the framework of our lives. Right? We swipe right to look at photos. We swipe right to read emails, to answer calls, to watch Instagram stories. It's part of our life. Statistics show that the average person pulls out their phone to look at it 150 times a day. That's once every six minutes. And there are now more than 100 million people on mobile dating apps. Half of those being Tinder, which gave us the swipe right life to begin with. At this present time, Tinder has reached one trillion swipes. Not one million, not one billion, one trillion swipes. In an article in Wired Magazine, David Pierce wrote this, in the years since Tinder's launch, the right swipe has become the prevailing signifier of our generation, shorthand for like, lust, and possibly, hopefully, finally, love. And so we're gonna, today we're going to talk through what it looks like to date well in a city like New York, what it looks like to date well in a place and a time where The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, are the, the reality franchise is one of the most successful on TV. Side note, out of the 32 collective seasons, which I had to look this up, by the way, 32 seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, come on, guys. If we would just stop watching, they would stop making them. Out of those 32 seasons, how many of the couples do you think are still together? Take a guess. Throw it at me. Six. Six are still together. Two are still married. Or maybe three. It's, it's hard to say what people consider, you know, marriage these days. But clearly we need better teachers, Yeah. And this isn't just for single people today. What I'm talking about today isn't just for single people. If you're married, you should be dating your mate. Yes, you should be dating your mate. So I want to start today by going all the way back to the beginning of things because the beginning shows us the truest form of something. What relationship looked like before we went and made it so complicated. Because it is complicated, right? It's complicated. Because people are complicated, it's messy, because people are messy, but relationships are also beautiful, and we're hardwired for them. God created relationship, and God created us for relationship. Relationship is the thumbprint of God on your soul. Friendship, dating, marriage, work relationships, whatever type of relationship, it leaves a mark on your soul. That's how God created us 
for better, for worse. So you were made for relationship. And, and one thing we need to be very clear about in any relationship is this. And I'm going I'm to go quantum physics on you really quickly. So stay with me. Your present becomes your past, which becomes your future. I'm going to say that one more time. Your present, where you are today, tomorrow becomes your past. And your past always affects your future. The problem arises when we think that any romantic relationship, we get, we get a clean slate. Anytime we enter into a new romantic relationship, it's a new beginning. It's, it simply doesn't work that way. When we find ourselves, where we find ourselves presently is a culmination of all our past decisions we've made, for better or for worse. And just to level the playing field a bit in this room, just to little, let, let a little air out of the room, you cannot go five minutes living in this world without having some relational baggage, okay? So we're, we're all in the same boat. Can we just get that out of the way? We're all in the same boat. And so we would be naive to think that we could start a new relationship without carrying all the baggage from the other relationships into it, because we are, especially if we haven't done the necessary work of getting really honest with ourselves about why we continue to do the things we do in relationships over and over and over, especially if they haven't worked in the past. Your past will always show up in your future. And there's nothing more powerful on earth than love, romance, and relationship. It is the most powerful thing on earth. Hence, 32 seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and The Bachelor in Paradise and The Bachelorette in Outer Space. (sighs) Stay tuned. I want to do a little bit... um, I spend a little bit of time talking about the story of Samson today. Samson, big guy, really, really strong, dreadlocks. Samson was Netflix and chilling with Delilah. That's the story, right? And the people that Delilah worked for, the Philistines, wanted to know the source of Samson's strength. So the story goes, Delilah sets the mood real, real good, lights a lot of candles, Turns on D'Angelo, comes up to Samson. Samson, tell me the source of your strength. And so he tells her something that isn't true. And so he he does this three times because he wants to keep doing what they're doing, but not lose his power. And Delilah finally, on the fourth time, pulls the, if you really loved me, you'd tell me card and Samson says, my hair's never been cut. If you cut my hair, the source of my power will be gone. And so Delilah tells this to the Philistines. They come in, they cut his hair. They also gouge his eyes out, but we don't have time to get into why they did that. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves, how could Samson give up so much for something so little? Right? We have to ask ourselves, why do we, how can we, where we are today, give up something, give up so much for so little in return? It's a fair question. But we have to go back into Samson's past to see how he got to a place where he could give up something so much for so little. Samson was called what was called a Nazarite. And along with the superhuman strength that he had, um, basically there were some guidelines to how he was to live. Don't cut your hair, which we already know how that turned out. 
don't eat any forbidden fruit, don't drink any alcohol, and don't touch anything dead. Those were the guidelines for, for Samson through his life. Let's see how well he did keeping up with those boundaries. Judges 14.8 says this, Later, when he, Samson, returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion, the lion that he had previously killed with his bare hands. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. I also, he also gave some to his father and his mother, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them where he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. First of all, there's a lot going on right here. And I have not done the hermeneutical study on why Samson would reach into a dead animal to scoop out honey to begin with, and let alone share it with his parents and not tell them the source of the honey. We're not going to get into that. But what we can look at together is that even before Delilah came along, Samson was already making compromises. And although there was no immediate ramification to his action, those actions outside of the boundaries of God set him up for failure in the end. His past became his future. Now, in a room this size, I'm aware that every single one of us has some sort of relational baggage, some sort of relational scar, past relationships that have failed, regret that we're carrying around, shame that we're carrying around, stuff we've done in in past relationships. And in response to that, I want to show you my favorite line in all of Samson's story. Judges 16, 22. But before long, Samson's hair began to grow back. Samson's story doesn't end with him bound in chains, a prisoner to his captives, a prisoner to his enemies, a prisoner to his own mistakes. As his hair grew back, his power returned, his strength returned, his purpose returned. He was still blind, but he had more of an impact after his hair started growing back than he ever did before his hair was cut. And this is the same. It's the same for us. It's true for us, regardless of where you find yourself right this very minute in this chair on a Sunday morning, regardless of the scars you have right now, regardless of the shame you're carrying around, the regret that you have, your power, your strength can return. You can change your present, which will become your past, which will affect your future. But how? How do we do that? How do we change where we are to affect where we've been, to affect where we're going? What you're doing right now is what matters. Andy Stanley, a few years back, coined this phrase, and I think it could actually revolutionize the way we approach dating if we really take to it. That's how powerful I think it is. Looking around, if you find yourself unsatisfied with where, where you are relationally, write this down and refer to it as often as, to, as you need. So the question before is, how, how can I change where I am to affect where I've been, to affect where I'm going? And the answer is this. Are you becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? And this statement flies in the face of the right person myth, right? Because it, the right person is a myth. If I just marry the right person, everything will be okay. If I just meet the right person, everything will, all, will be all right. And that's, that's just not right. That's not how it works. Because it's not about making yourself available, about making yourself more available, about putting yourself out there more. It's about who are you intentionally becoming? So what is it that we're supposed to become? What's the list of attributes this person we're looking for is looking for? 
1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Listen, if Foreigner had read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they wouldn't have had to write that song. I mean, I'm glad they did. I'm just saying. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Let's go back to the beginning. Love is patient. What is patience? Patience is never, ever, 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 ever pressuring the other person. The other, you are never putting any pressure on the other person in any way. You give them all the space and time and margin that they need. You never, ever, ever put pressure on the other person if you're patient. Love is kind. What is kindness? Another great word for kindness is consideration. You're considerate. And when you are considerate, you take into consideration how the other person feels all the time. And to take that a bit further, consideration means that you are constantly considering how what you do or how what you don't do is making the other person feel. That's consideration. That's considerate. That's kindness. Married couples, did you hear what I just said? Great. I've always said this, but if you get a servant-hearted person in a relationship with another servant-hearted person, and the only competition in the relationship is who can outserve the other, it is a win-win. You're not going to have, well, you might have some problems. We all have problems, but it's still going to be a win. Love does not envy. Envy says that I don't feel so good about me, so I'm not going to let you feel good about you. That's envy. And so I'm going to drag you down. I'm going to pull you down. I'm going to take you down. Or that every, every story you tell me, I, I'm going to one-up that with something either better or worse because I don't feel so good about me. I don't want you to feel good about you. I can't celebrate you because I envy you. What, what things would have been different in the, in the households we grew up in if there had been more kindness? If there had been more consideration? More patience, less jealousy, less envy, less pride. People could admit they were wrong more quickly. Love does not dishonor others. When you date, the goal is to never create regret. The point of love is to not be a part of someone's regret story. That's love. That's what love is. Love does not dishonor others. And listen, if you're doing those things, if you are becoming those things, if you're growing and you, you're not in a, a relationship currently, but you're growing in kindness and you're growing in consideration, and I mean, we can all be better at all of these things, of course. But I'm saying, if you, if you already are on that path, just keep going. Just keep going. Love never gives up. It is always hopeful. It gets through any circumstance. And... 
I want you to immediately friend zone anyone that is not becoming the person that you're looking for, right? Like, oh, well, I, now that we have our guidelines, like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. Friend zone. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't depend on what you're watching. Don't depend on what's going on around you, what you see. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Seek God and he'll show you the way your strength will return. When Ashley and I began dating, and this was before Tinder, mind you. So I just want to stop and say, listen, single ladies, single fellas, I get it. It is a crazy, crazy dating world out there. I get it. So let's have everybody just take, everybody that is, is on that journey, take a deep breath in, deep breath out. And I just want to tell you that you've got what it takes to navigate the, in, the ins and outs of this, this crazy dating world. You, you've got it. You've got what it takes. And you've got, you've got your guidelines, and, you, and you, know, you know the way. And if you trust in God and you keep trusting in God, he's going to show you. It's a promise. It's, he's going to do it. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you which path to take. He's going to show you. He wants to show you. So I just want to say that up front You've got what it takes. You can do it. And he's with you. God did not put the desire in you to be in a relationship to mess with you. He, didn't, he doesn't do that. But I know how things can look right now, today, in the midst of all that's going around us. I just want you. You've got it. You've got what it takes. And if you keep seeking, keep trusting, he's going to show you. I always say, run as hard and fast after God as you can. And every once in a while, this is, both, this is for the fellows and the ladies, run as fast and hard after God as you can. Every once in a while, look up, see who's running along with you, and then keep running as fast and hard as you can. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And then look up again just to see who's still there. Okay. Who's still there? Who's still running as fast and hard as you are? And then, and only then, well. <laughs> Ashley and I met in Los Angeles, and it was through the church we were both attending. In fact, I, I feel like our dating time was expedited in the sense that uh, because we were both serving in church, we got to be around each other without the pressure of being a couple. I got to know her and scope her out without the pressure of, like, taking her on a date and being very, like, you know, like, you, you want to make the best impression on your first date. You're not really yourself until, like, weeks into a relationship, right? Oh, that was just me? Oh, years. Yeah, years. <laughs> oh, surprise! I forgot to mention. Whoopsie. So Ashley was the vocal team coach when I joined the vocal team. And I, I'll never for, forget the day, like, I, I first, like, really saw her. You know, I'd seen her around, of course, but, you know, there's, it's different. Like, when I really, really saw her, I was like, oh. It's like. 
So the cool part of our story, like I said earlier, is like we didn't have to date to get to know each other initially uh, because the foundation of any relationship is friendship, right? Can we all agree? Like the better friend somebody is, the better significant other they're going to be, right? Because I was interested, uh, I had a front row seat to see how she actually showed up for her friends because I wanted to know because if she could do that for her, her girlfriends, then then she could do that for me. Does this person know how to show up for the people in, in their life? Does this guy that I'm interested, does he have close guy friendships that call him to call the greatness out of him, that call him to be better, that keep him accountable, that keep him from being impressed with his own wisdom? And Ashley did. I watched how well she treated everyone she came in contact with, how regardless of, of where someone came from or what they could give her in return, she always gave her best, always. She treated everyone equally, and she showed up for those who were closest to her. I, I knew ama an amazing thing when I saw, saw it, so I snatched that girl up with a quickness. I surely did. So we were friends for a year, then we dated for a year, and then we were engaged for four months. Because no ring, no bing bing before the ring ring, and I was trying to be married. I was. But one thing we knew going into it, just like what we talked about earlier, is that our past becoming our future, we knew that marriages were not new beginnings, right? There are new chapters in our life. There's a different chapter, but it's not a new beginning because I had baggage, you know, years of sexual addiction that I was carrying around with me. Ashley had her own baggage. So before we even got together, we, had been, we knew that marriage and new relationships are not new beginnings. So we had done the hard work of recovery and, like, and being very, very honest with ourselves about why we did the things we did and where that came from and why we coped the way we did and, and all of that hard work. Because the desire, and we all want this, the desire was to come into this relationship that I valued above every other relationship. If we're going on this path and it's going to end in marriage, I want to make sure I have the least amount of baggage. But that stuff has to be reconciled. That stuff has to be pulled up and, and laid down at the feet of Jesus. And, you and it has to be worked out in the context of safe community and recovery. Because I wanted to step into this new relationship with as little minimizing the baggage as best I could so that we could have everything God wanted for us in this relationship. That's why purity for our relationship, our dating relationship, was our highest value because of the baggage. It wasn't, we kept our physicality to a minimum. It wasn't because I was not attracted to her. It was because I was so attracted to her. I didn't spend the night because I knew where we had come from and all the work we had done to get to where we were. I did not want to mess that up before it was time. I did not want my past to affect my future negatively. I got a, a, a picture of Ashley and Lucas I don't have a picture. It didn't come through. Anyway, she's back there. So everyone, where are you? Can you just like wave, babe? I heard you earlier. There you are. My number one. 
my baby mama without the drama, which is what we're all going for, right? I don't want no drama, but I got a baby mama. So I want to spend the rest of our time together uh, addressing the single men in the room. But ladies, you're welcome to listen in. I mean, you can go get coffee if you want, but hopefully this will be helpful for you too. Because my hope is that I'd inspire the men in this room uh, to step up and to be everything that God is asking you to be, what's inside of you, the greatness that is inside of you, and it is there uh, to be fully released, to go forth and, and, and be the man God has asked you to be because the man establishes the pace of the relationship. That's just how it works. And it's your responsibility. For better or for worse, healthy or unhealthy, the man establishes the pace of the relationship. So I'd like you uh, to spend, we're going to spend a little time in Proverbs. The wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, wrote this. You can't build a fire in your lap and not get burned. <laughs> you play, I, I love scripture. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. In our culture, women are viewed, talked about, and sung about as objects and commodities. I'm going to use this object, I'm going to use this commodity until something of greater value comes along. The message today of women is take me, use me, do whatever you want with me, and then discard me. But we only have to look as far as Jesus, who took one look at this social construct, because it's been around for a really long time and said, you've got it all wrong. This is completely wrong. This is not how I intended. Jesus says, I tell you, love each other, even as I have loved you. There is no difference. Every person you come in contact with, you are to love, honor, respect, and consider, regardless of their gender, regardless of their status, regardless if they are a believer or not. Love, honor, respect, consider. And by this, people will know you're my followers. Men, every woman you come in contact with, you look her in the eye. Notice the specific geography of the eye placement, please. You are respectfully addressing and in interacting with a female. You are giving, you are giving her respect, value, and honor by looking her in the eye. Paul gives us another standard. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. He gave up his life for the church. So single guy, this is what you're training for. This is the goal. This is what it looks like to be a godly husband. And you get to start practicing right now as you're dating. First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, this weaker part, the only thing that means is that you can probably beat your significant other in an arm wrestling match. That's all it means. She's not weak. She physically how we're built is all it's talking about right here. But I also want to draw our attention to this word respect. Respect the partner. Because it, this form of the Greek is the only time it's used in the New Testament. 
which makes it really, really special. And it says to grant a sign or ascribe honor. So the highest honor and respect is due your wife. You're to leverage your power for the benefit of those who have less power. Not misuse your power, not abuse your power, not overpower someone else. And heirs with you. You are looking at every woman you look at, you are interacting with, is some, that is someone who is made in the image of God, who Jesus gave his life for. Her heavenly father is God, whether she knows Jesus right now or not. Period. And the kicker is, if you don't get this right, God's not going to answer your prayers. That's what it says. Because of how you treat women will directly affect God listening to your prayers. That's enough motivation for me. Right? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. So the crucial thing we need to look at as, as we're becoming the men God has asked us to be is this. The mind. This is where the battle is. The battle is in your mind, especially in our culture today with technology that we have today. How do we renew this? How do we get this back to its original intent, the original form after everything that we've experienced? Just, just being in this culture. We have to look at what we entertain ourselves with. That's how we renew. So what, what is the music you're listening to? What, what is the music labeling the women that you're listening to? We need to be really, really conscious of that. And if it's a problem, and if subconsciously it's, it's causing you to act in a way other than what, it's, what the standard is given in First Peter, then we need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of it. Also, erotic imagery. We have to talk about pornography because sexual addiction is at an all-time high in this day and age because of technology, because it's so easy to get. And it's a very, very dark teacher. Pornography teaches two things. One, it teaches that a real body is not enough and that one body is not enough. That's what pornography teaches. And it's designed, the design of pornography is to literally release the drug dopamine in your frontal cortex. It is a drug. And be, that's why it's so addictive. And you're giving away your power with every click. But your power can be restored. Talk to someone. Jump in a community group with a group of, of trusted guys. Or uh, give me a holler. I mean, I'm the chief sinner in this. And I'm telling you, it is possible to be free. I'm telling you, it can happen. It's possible. You can be free and completely free because that's a lie. It's like, oh, this will always be something I deal with. You can be completely free. God wants the very best for you, men. He wants the very best relationship for you. He wants that. And he wants to show you how to get there. Just seek him. And ladies, I just have to say to you real quick, your intrinsic value comes from the fact that you were designed and created by God that he is your heavenly father. It's not in what you look like. It's not what job you have. It's not where you went to school. It's not what some other man thinks of you. If a guy cannot 
recognize your intrinsic value, that you are the daughter of a king. If he can't show you the utmost respect, treat you well, and protect your virtue, then show him the freaking door, man. Boy, bye. But guys, I know you have it in you. I know you have it in you to do this well. So you can do it. You can do it. Starting today. what What you do today matters. Because today becomes your past, which becomes your future. Relationship is possible. Healing is possible. Renewing your mind is possible. Your future is bright. Start today by making decisions that will become your new past, that will set you up for the future that God has for you. Because, guys, it is awesome. The future and plan God has for every person in this room, regardless of the baggage that you brought in with you, is amazing. So our job, our process, is to figure out how to get rid of as much baggage so that we can run as fast and hard as we can. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.